0: The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus departed to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. When day came, he called his disciples to himself. From them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles, Simon whom he named Peter and his brother Andrew. James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon who was called a zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a a stretch of level ground. A great crowd of his disciples and a large number of the people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And even those who were tormented by unclean spirits were cured. Everyone in the crowd sought to touch him, because power came forth from him and healed them all. The Gospel of the Lord. If you've been following carefully over the last week and a half our readings from St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, you may find yourself thinking, wow, these guys can't get anything right. Um, The letter reads like a just long-running correction of various tendencies in the community. The fact that they play favorites among the ministers, that they divide themselves up, and today, St. Paul speaking about how they are quick to take legal action against one another to resolve disputes that don't necessarily rise to that level and as we hear all of these things it's as if the apostle is holding up a mirror in front of us because it's not just the corinthians who can't seem to do anything right that's a struggle the church has had across the centuries where we recognize that one of the most difficult and yet vital elements of living the gospel is learning how to live with one another and that's not easy In fact, in the Eastern traditions of the church among the monks, eh, it's common for one of the residents of the monasteries when he's asked questions about his vocation to give the same answer to two questions. The first is, what is the greatest consolation of your life as a religious? And the second is, what is the greatest difficulty in your life as a religious? And the typical answer to both questions is, my community. Those with whom I live and seek to live the the gospel are my great strength, my great support, my great consolation. Oh, and they are my cross. (laughs) They are my great obstacle. They are my great difficulty and my great challenge. So it shouldn't surprise us when we recognize these things to hear Saint Paul unpacking all of the challenges facing this very gifted, very talented, very energetic church in Corinth, that because of its giftedness, because of its energy, because of its desire to move forward, found itself at times moving into difficulties. Because everybody likes to go following his own inspiration and his own direction. And so here it is now, St. Paul saying, and note, note his words here, I write this to shame you. Notice he doesn't say, I understand, it's okay, we'll get by this. He uses that very strong language to say, to remind them, you are better than this. And you are called to be better than this. One of the essences of Christian life is that Christian life is supposed to be a way of living that is better than what we see in the world around us, not just more of it. We forget that all the time. We forget that all the time. There's a tendency to settle for the bland, false face of goodness that the world around us presents. And to assume that that is who we are to be and how we are to live. And so here St. Paul says, and so what are you doing? You have disputes among one another. And you are quick then, rather than saying, as fellow believers, can we find a way forward? You drag each other before the judges of the world before the courts of the world. We see then that contemporary North America is not the only overly litigious society. Um, This tendency to haul one another before the judge, before the magistrate, to seek someone to mediate between us in a way that will hopefully render me the positive judgment, goes way back. And know what St. Paul is saying. You're content, you're content to let the non-believing world make its peace among you. You are content to avail to the unbeliever and his authority over what it is to well order your treatment of one another. Do you not see the problem? Because now those who reject the gospel are teaching those who live the gospel how they should relate to one another, how they should treat one another. And what happens when we fall into this trap? Now, all of a sudden, we look at one another with suspicion because everybody's worried about getting cheated. And everybody's worried about protecting himself and getting what is his and defending his rights. St. Paul says, uh, there's no one among you who's capable of looking at some of these matters with clear eyes and a clear head and a clear conscience. The gospel has nothing to say about how we bear with one another. The example of Jesus Christ has nothing to teach us. Rather, in our sense of being offended or defrauded or treated unfairly, we go right away to the pagan world and leverage its power against one another. And then we wonder why we don't move forward. Saint Paul is not saying replace secular government with the church. But he is saying, be careful what you are using to organize how you live with one another. Be careful with this tendency to take action against one another. We need to be better than that, he says. He goes so far as to say, put up with a bit of injustice if you have to. Not everything is a battle worth fighting. Not everything is a fundamental threat to your freedom or your prosperity. Because what happens when we fall into that trap is we become preemptively unjust against one another. So that no one cheats me, I'll take care of that for myself a little earlier. And what happens is we begin to treat one another with the mercenary attitude of the world around us. And Paul reminds them, but heaven doesn't open to the mercenary heart. Heaven doesn't open to the one who is quick to be unjust against another. Heaven will open to many who suffer injustice, but it will not open to those who practice it. And so the unjust ways of an unjust world are not to be the ways of those who claim to follow Jesus Christ. What an important teaching that is. And we just have to look across the centuries of human history to see how easy a teaching that is to forget and to lay aside, which is why it is good from time to time we have it put in front of us in the liturgy so that the Holy Spirit can remind us of that more to Christian life if all we are is no better than the world around us then we're not living the gospel what an important reminder that is and how wonderfully it dovetails with what we see in our gospel account from saint luke today it begins with jesus withdrawing and going up a mountain And as we hear those words, the Holy Spirit is also reminding the attentive heart of other mountains. In particular, the mountain that Moses climbed to pray and be near the Lord, and on that mountain, he received the law. And so note, Jesus is with his disciples. He withdraws a bit from them. And he goes up the mountain as well. And he will be coming down the mountain with something. How interesting. Because the one who climbs the mountain will also be coming back down. And he will be coming back down for, with something for all of the people gathered at the base of the mountain. Moses came down with the stone tablets of the law. Jesus comes down with nothing in his hands, no stone tablets. He comes down, however, with 12 names. How interesting this is. And he looks out among his disciples and he calls 12 names. Out of all of his disciples, a great crowd, he calls 12 to step forward. And note how this happens, he doesn't ask for applications. Jesus doesn't say I have 12 new positions that are opening up, they're very important. If you're interested, send me a resume, contact Heavenly HR and we'll begin working on something. He also doesn't say consult among yourselves Have a vote and choose the 12 people you guys want. Notice he doesn't do that. The only consultation that happens is between his heart and the heart of his father. So what we see here, note, this is heaven saying something authoritative and normative. And the lord comes down and he calls the 12 that he chooses not the 12 that we choose and not the 12 that chose themselves by applying for the job how interesting but note as well that these are not 12 strangers he calls from among those who have been following him and so note When Jesus, for example, calls the fishermen by the seashore, they're not apostles yet, but now they are. He called them first to follow him, and then out of his followers, he chose 12. How absolutely remarkable. And this authoritative choice, this choice made in and by the authority of Jesus himself, is done on the mountain. And coming off the mountain, he who is the one who gave Moses the law in the first place now gives the world these twelve. Because here he's forming a people that goes well beyond Israel of old. Here he is announcing his church. And note what happens. First he names the twelve whom he calls apostles. Those who are sent, is what the word means. And so he calls 12 that he will be sending. And if these are the 12 he's chosen and he is the one who is sending, the implication is they will move with his authority. Because the messenger moves with the authority of the one who sends him. And so it is. Note, they will be sent. He's not sending them now. But these are the 12 who will be sent. And why? Note what happens immediately after. He designates the 12 who will be sent, who will move forward in his name and in his authority. And then he teaches at the foot of the mountain to the assembled Faithful, to the curious. Now the Lord begins to teach and expound his gospel in the presence of the twelve whom he will send. And the great multitude comes and they bring their sick and even their possessed and they are set free. And we hear at the end of the gospel reading, and the people just want it to touch him because power would go out from him. And now let's pause and return to those 12 and their sending. And note what the Lord is preparing. He is preparing for that moment where after his victorious resurrection, having won salvation for the world, he will ascend into heaven, take up his throne at the right hand of the majesty of his father, And his church will go out into the world with the movement of the twelve who are sent. But they will be sent not as mere messengers because power will go out from them and teaching will go forth from them. His teaching and his power. And the sick and the wounded of the world will be brought to them and be healed. Note how powerful this is, how wonderful this is. And the Lord, his power still goes out into the world through his church. How absolutely marvelous this commissioning of the 12 apostles is. Because we will experience its effect here in this place where the church passes on the gospel to us and in just a moment the saving power of Jesus Christ steps out of heaven to be with us right here. And we've come to the church, to his body on the earth. And here, gathering with one another, We come forward and we touch him and the saving power of his victory goes out to us. How marvelous the sacraments are. Each one of the seven, a way that the power of his victory over sin and death continues to go out from him to the world, but through his church, founded on the 12 that he has chosen and that he sends. And when we recognize all of this, small wonder St. Paul says to the people in Corinth What are you doing? What are you doing? Look at what the Lord has given us, look at what he has established, look at who we are, and don't you set that aside, and don't you sell it short, but embrace it and live it how absolutely wonderful this moment the lawgiver comes down from the mountain with more than a law with a church with a people with a body that he will send so that power still continues to go forth from him how lucky how blessed indeed we are amen